0: I can tell you, I did a lot of investigations in my early safety career with somebody that was hurt in a hospital bed and they never ever looked up at me and said, you know, I was totally paying attention to what I was doing. I was not distracted. I was following the rules and I thought about what I did before I cut my leg off with that chainsaw. They've never told me that. Everybody always says the same thing when they're laying there in pain. I wish I wouldn't have taken that next step because I was not thinking.
1: Welcome to the Pitch Podcast, where entrepreneurs and cutting-edge companies come to tell us about the products they're making, the ideas they're spending time on, and the problems they're solving. Here's your host, Warren Spiewak. Welcome to another episode of the Oil & Gas Pitch Podcast. Today, we're talking to so people were very big fans of its Knowledge Vine. We're going to dive into what they do, why it matters, and really how they can help more organizations around the world. So uh, here we go. I've got David Bauman. He is the founder of Knowledge Vine, and I also have the VP uh, Ken Holleran, who um, apparently, from what I've heard, and we're going to dive into it, he's been he's worked like nuclear some got some nuclear background some military background and I'm wondering very much like how that ties into all of this human performance David I guess we'll just start there what is human performance for those that are like what Russell told me imagining the Olympics that's not what we're talking about today
0: yeah no really it's just a, it's a it's a cultural process it's a way to think about and process work really it all came out of nuclear power, commercial nuclear power. After 1979, we had a partial meltdown with Three Mile Island. Uh, did a lot of research, investigation, trying to understand how could that happen? We could never let that happen again. Uh, Jimmy Carter was a big fan of commercial nuclear power. He was a big fan of Rick Over, who was an admiral of the Navy. And he brought a lot of those principles into that commercial nuclear power functionality. So one of the things that you cannot do is you cannot let the core get uncovered, right? Mm. Inside of a nuclear power plant. Mm. So if you do, you have a meltdown. What happened in Three Mile Island was a lot of different things. It wasn't just one person that made one mistake. There was a a bunch of things that failed from a defense in depth uh, perspective. And one of the things that came out of it was this idea of blame. We have to blame the guy that was sitting behind the control panel that allowed this, right? And the FAA came in, people got involved in this investigation, so it was such a big deal, you know, in in 1979 to never let that happen. And one of the things the the aviation side had learned from the 60s and 70s is you can blame pilots all day long, but if you don't fix what's really causing that accident, you're going to have one after another. So they got control of that a long time ago in the Aviation Administration. Flash forward back to 1979, three mile out. Another really bad thing happened the same week of Three Mile Island and that was the China Syndrome movie came out. So now people are terrified of nuclear power. Probably the safest place you will ever work. I've worked in a lot of different industries before, oil and gas, whatever. I ended up in nuclear power myself and I felt like that is probably the safest place I've ever worked. There is no single point vulnerability in a nuclear power plant. You have to rely on your teammates, you have to rely on your training. It's so close to flying on a commercial airline, like you don't expect to crash anymore, right? You expect maybe you might be two minutes late and get mad, but you're not going to crash on the side of a mountain and die.
1: No, this is a fact. Like every time I'm on the tarmac, I think to myself, I'm sure there's like for years, there's 90,000 flights going out every day. I'm all right. Like I'll just enjoy the uh, enjoy the ride. And it is one of the safest industries And uh, that was kind of an interesting parallel that you painted for me while we kind of initially talked about the episode. Now, Ken, before I get to you, I know I was giving you, you know, for people going like, what the hell is Warren talking about? Which is quite common. David, I I do want to like have you do an introduction for him because there are some interesting things. Him being in the Navy, him working on submarines, right next to, you know, nuclear bombs. I'm guessing. I, I, you tell me. But um, let's get into his background, and then I think that will just solidify everything we're about to get into, and how these organizations, the listener who's at the helm of the ship, could literally leverage this knowledge vine solution for quite a few things.
0: Yes, a little bit about Ken. First of all, Ken Ken, uh, was brand new out of the Navy uh, when he came and joined the team at at, uh, the nuclear power plant where I worked. I was a senior nuclear equipment operator. Part of my job was to train Ken to learn how to become an operator in the plant, the actual application of what we do and how we do it. And the minute I met him, I was like, this this guy's sharp. I mean, he's just – he got it. He was smart. He's different because he – I don't know how you do this, but Ken was able to go live in a submarine underwater. Yeah. That freaks me out. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm claustrophobic in this room. Right. Yeah. But to be able to do that, you you just you flip a different switch. Right. Sure. And, and to be able to, to serve his country the way he did and to be a passionate, as passionate as he is about doing it right. The first time we just hit it right off. I mean, Ken spent a lot of time at our house with our family. You know, my kids grew up around Ken. He was just part of our family wow. kind of a thing. And so when I moved on and started KnowledgeVine in 2014, I knew I had to get him over here with us. He was just too valuable. He knows the entire story of human performance. And when I say that, there's multiple facets to what we do. It's not just teach you tools and traps and hope you got it, good luck. It's, you know, corrective access to prevent recurrence. It's all these different components of how it works. He already knew that. I don't have to teach him anything. I don't have to teach him work ethic. I don't have to teach him human performance. He knows all that. So he was a perfect fit for our young company to come in. And then to top it all off, he's a very quick study and he can learn things very fast. So he can he figured out how to take non-software data and create basic software out of those off the shelf data streams to even get us the building blocks to have the software we have today. So he was an absolute must have. And he will be taking my place when I retire.
1: Wow, that's incredible. And Ken, welcome to the show, huh? That's that's a nice
2: like <laughs> that's big shoes to fill. Man,
1: I, I want to take David with me. Maybe he can say something good about me. Like my hero was Pee Wee Herman like, when I, in 1986. So it's going to be tough for you. Yeah. Um, but in all seriousness, it is pretty neat to think about the idea that. And by the way, thank you for your service. Uh, that's an incredible thing to do for our country. But to think that you could experience all of that, learn everything you learned in the military, and not like come back and like try to figure out how to cut hair or something. Like you're you're in a really great industry that you're able to take this, ex, uh, this expertise and leverage it to literally save people's lives companies make more money and I know we're gonna get into the value proposition and we're like I might be taking too long on the warm-up here but what I love about the start off and the foundation of what we're talking about is that through safety and through optimizing a culture really of safety and be- good behavior within not just the oil and gas industry but I'm sure it goes on and on with who you can help um, we're really talking about cost containment also because risks are lower you get mo- you know obviously in the insurance industry and in so many other places in 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 the working world you you actually benefit from doing it right so with that Ken I guess um, we'll just start there right I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of a quick question to you guys yeah we joked around about human performance and we're really talking safety here what are some misconceptions that when you go in and you're meeting a client for the first time or you actually are trying to like do a value proposition What are the misconceptions that you feel like you're constantly in the field overcoming?
0: I'll say a few, and then you say a few. Okay. (laughs) So one of them is, hey, this is great for the guys that do the work, but we don't need it in management. That's a complete misconception, right? Because you have to have every organizational layer involved if you're going to change culture. I can't just say this is for the guys that do the hard work out there. They need this stuff because they're the ones that get hurt. It's not about that. It's really about organizational alignment. It's about understanding the processes and the standards that you have and setting expectations. Clearly, I can tell you right now, and I say this all the time. There's two places I've been in my life where I thought I would change their culture and I didn't. Mm-hmm. One was commercial nuclear power. The other was the United States Marine Corps. So I was also in the military. So you are not going to change the culture that's set that deep and that entrenched that's worked that long. 43 years we've been doing human performance of nuclear power have not had one more mistake in the United States. Right. That's huge. That's a big deal. And so that criticality of understanding that it's the entirety of the the whole organization that's got to be involved in this. It's not a bottom up. It's not a grassroots. It's a very top down driven understanding metrics, understanding data, understanding trends. That's all got to be a part of it. That's my main one I always worry about is this is good for those guys but it don't have to be everybody.
2: Mm. Which one? You? Yeah, we hear that a lot. <laughs> what what can you come help us with that'll fix our guys in the mm. field? Mm-hmm. Well, well nothing. I got to fix all the whole organization. So, that's probably the big one. The other big misconception we hear a lot about is human performance is just about tools and traps. And when we say tools and traps, we're talking about behavioral human performance tools, things I can do as an individual to minimize my chance for making a mistake. And then the traps that we fall into, we call them human performance traps, things like time pressure, overconfidence, distractions. Mm. So that's just the beginning of human performance. And that's a small piece. We actually, our process uses a formula called remedy. There's three main pieces to it. One of them is all about human performance tools and traps. That's what can I do in the moment as the individual to minimize mistakes is if I'm minimizing mistakes, I'm more safe, I have better quality, less rework, I'm more productive, I have a better culture. Mm. Right? The second piece is leadership engagement. Like David said, there's Everyone in the organization has to be involved. So when you're a mid-level leader in an organization and you're trying to implement a new culture, you have to be a leader of that change. So that's a key piece um, that we spend a lot of time training on. And then there's the third piece that's all around air defenses. He talked about defenses in depth. It's building your organizational resilience to set your people up for success. Mm-hmm. So the people have a part, the leadership has a part, the executives in the organization have a piece to make it all successful. You can't do it with just one piece. You gotta have all of it.
1: Yeah, so this is great. So kicking it off, like to where rubber meets the road. People could be listening, somebody's you know, um, a decision maker. They. A lot of times insurance is like a major thing where you think of the work comp losses. Going back to culture, you think to yourself, if you're going home to your family and they know you're not just in a danger, like in a dangerous position because of your profession, but then on top of that, they've seen your company get it wrong, which could be a fatality, right? Um, culture would absolutely increase by not just, the employee feeling comfortable and feeling that somebody cares right but then you go back to the family and and on you have this new support so this is so this is where i want to pivot to what you guys are doing day in day out so sometimes our bias is to think well maybe our employees won't listen to us like this idea of behavior like what what does that look like Can you guys give me an example or a story where someone who right now, they're just going like, this sounds like it could be a very uh, difficult mountain to climb, what does it really look like? Like, so instead of us trying to use our imaginations, what does it look like when a company opens this door and you guys go out to a job site? What's an example of what happens from the first moment you meet them to maybe just an example of you implementing a few things that could make a world of difference?
0: Yeah, so I'll answer that. So so I'll, I'll start with this is that we always have a prescribed method for this, right? There's a way to do it in a way that they think they want to do it. And we have a lot of we have a lot of conversations around, look, we get it. We know you want to jump right into the training and fix everybody. But but, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about, too, is this is not a program, right? programs come and go. It's a flavor of the month thing. It's not that. This is a true culture change. You've got to to be able to accept the fact that we're going to go somewhere we've never been before, right? One of the things we like to do is start with a survey, just a culture survey. And there's a couple of things we're really doing with that. It's not so much about what you're telling me about your company. That's part of it. I like to see what your engagement rate is. You know, the first piece of data I get on a survey is how many people actually did the ceo coo or cfo got in front of them and said i'm paying you to do this will you please take this survey and tell me how we can get better if i get a company that's got a 42 percent engagement rate they're probably not going to do very good you know because what else are they not doing we've asked them to do inside of that survey i can find out a lot of details about what we think is important here and what we think is not important here That's a good way to start. The other thing it does is it softens the fact that we're going to do something different. You're asking me for my opinion. You're asking me for what I think about this place. You've never done that before, probably, right? This is kind of new. So these guys are coming in to help us. We want people to understand this is not about catching you doing something wrong, catching you doing something terrible. That's not what we do. We're trying to figure out what's really going on internally so we can help you get better at what you do, right? So after that, we start with very simple, fundamental knowledge. Human performance is a system of languages, right? So Ken talked about human performance tools. Uh, when I tell you how simple this is, my mother made the comment. She says, you, you get paid to teach people uh, common sense. Wow. I said, kind of. <laughs> so one of the main tools you get taught is something called self-check. And it, the acronym is STAR for Stop, Think, Act, Review. That sounds simple, right? But do we do it all the time? You know, do you really think about what you're doing before you take an action? I can tell you, I did a lot of investigations in my early safety career with somebody that was hurt in a hospital bed and they never, ever looked up at me and said, you know, I was totally paying attention to what I was doing. I was not distracted. I was following the rules and I thought about what I did before I cut my leg off of that chainsaw. They've never told me that. Everybody always says the same thing when they're laying there in pain. I wish I wouldn't have taken that next step because I was not thinking. Mm. So Stop Think Act Review is a very simple human performance tool. Now, the the point of that, I'm telling you, is that that's a language, right? Because people will tell you, I do that all the time. You do, but you didn't know what to call it. So therefore, it wasn't a standard, right? So that's the kind of tools we teach you in the fundamental level. And then from there, we like to get into leadership development, teaching people how to coach, how to listen. This is all about trust, right? If you think about the very first principle of human performance, it's people are fallible and they are going to make mistakes. We cannot create a robot with a human being. There's too much free will. There's too much ability to make mistakes. We're going to do it. We have to have the ability to fail, though, without crashing the plane. Great example of this defense in depth thing And because people make mistakes. You know why there's two pilots, right? No, tell me. To keep you honest, right? There's two pilots in case this pilot has a I was going to say heart
1: attack, but okay, yeah. good. I mean, yeah. that's,
0: that's part of it, right? Yeah. That's defense in depth. Uh-huh. They both can fly this airplane, okay? The second thing you do is that That plane is on automatic most of the time it's in the air to take the human element out of it. You want to have some fun, go watch Sully, the movie about Sully. He'd had to do everything from memory, training and thinking compliance. He could not follow the procedure. He had to do it right now. That's what we call skill based uh, space, right? So all that has to happen to develop this this level of trust so that when I'm in the field and I make a mistake, I got to be able to tell my supervisor this is going to this is going to cause somebody to get hurt or we're going to lose an asset or whatever. So that development of trust and coaching and communication is what we like to hit on next and harp on hard. The third part of that is the air defense strategies. How can I go build defense in depth? How can I make my, my um, organizational gaps go away so that I don't have the same situation happen over and over again? We, we have a tendency to want to blame the guy, fire the guy or gal, and then hire somebody else that's smarter than that last person. And then we do the same thing again because we didn't remove the problem. Mm-hmm. The problem is in that organizational gap. Right. So that's kind of the way we do that process. And there's a lot of handholding. There's a lot of going out in the field. We call it we'll do the heavy lifting. We like to go out in the field and show you how to apply this to the job you're doing. Yeah. Interesting. You want to add anything to that?
2: Tell them about the the glove story and the trailer. It's a good example of yeah. talking about organizational that, that is, gaps. That is
0: a really good one. So so we uh, went to work for a major pipeline company up in the northeast or north Midwest rather in the north. And they had 14 fatalities when we got there. major company and it, they had a lot of problems. They got our name from somebody. I don't remember who. It doesn't matter. We went to work up there, and our field guy uh, kept finding these guys not wearing gloves, right? And we don't want to harp on just that, right? So we're like, okay, well, why don't you wear the gloves? And the field worker says, we don't have them. And we said, well, that can't be true. You guys have got to have gloves, right? He goes, well, we have them, but they're on the tool trailer. Well, where's the tool trailer? It's back at the hotel, Why is it back at the hotel? Because this company has a 37 step procedure to hook up a trailer to a truck. We're not gonna do that. We don't have time to do that. We're contractors, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what else they don't have that they should have because the tool trailer is back at the hotel. They don't have the right pry bars. They don't have the right equipment. They don't have the right face masks. So they are literally doing everything they can because they don't wanna hook up this trailer to the truck, have to do a 37 page checklist. So I went back to our contact at the client side, and I said, is this true? Is it 37 steps to hook up a trailer? He said, absolutely not. It's three. And I said, well, he went through, you know, hooking up the safety chains, checking the lights, blah, blah, blah. So I went back. we went back to these guys and said, hey, that's not true. Uh-huh. He said, well, our, our foreman never told us. We thought we started to do the 37-step checklist. Wow. So think about how much stuff could have happened if we would have just said, hey, man, put your gloves on. And walked off. You got to know the why. You got to understand what's going on with it. You know.
1: Well, what resonates with me as I'm listening to this is, you know, to hear, you know, people think safety, right? Like that's the thing. But this is like you were telling me, way beyond safety. It's behavior. And then on top of that, what I'm noticing just as we get into this is, it's really about not just communication, but the perception of those employees actually being able to receive the information. Because if, they, if, if they're, like, as for lack of a better example, if they're hearing Korean in their minds, I'm using that as an example, they're not really resonating that uh, that, okay, it is three steps, not 27, so it's cumbersome. But in this case, you're saying it wasn't even that they didn't understand what was being said. What was being said was something that was long ago and wasn't the most current. Uh, of the company's kind of findings and what to do yeah. um, okay so then so we so we know safety is the result and in, and then it's almost like that's the uh, that's the tip of the iceberg you get under the water you see its behavior mind you the, these gloves that they're not even where it's convenient where does that like what's the application for you guys tactically where you are making an impact so if someone's listening to this going yeah my guys would never um, change or they're just stuck or our turnover's too high what tactically does it look like to implement something that Knowledge Vine is recommending and these kind of diagnoses that you're finding
0: so that's a great question and really that's where the data comes in so we have our own observation process we it's proprietary uh it's not a form builder kind of thing it's really a true uh, delve into this thing kind of a thing so we get a lot of data a lot of feedback out of it And one of the things we're always looking for, just like in nuclear power, is where are the trends? What are the trends telling me? So I don't even look at what you're doing. I really ask you why you're doing it, right? So why would you not wear the gloves? And the answer is gonna be can't. Why can't you? Because you're a tool trailer, right? So what I really wanna know is what else can't you do? What else are you not able to do? That can't is a trend word for us, right? Or I forgot, or it's not important to me, or my boss doesn't care, whatever, right? We're trying to find out the why. So we can start trending that. And what else can't you do or do you not care about? That's what we got to go fix. We used to call that an extent of condition inside of nuclear power. Where else do we have these issues? We want to fix that issue, not just the glove issue, right? Because there's so many things going on between I can't do this because I don't have the right information anymore. Think about how many misses we have and how many shots on goal and how many potential lives we're going to lose or assets we're going to tear up or lose the loss of productivity and money. Let's just be honest. This is, this is about all of that. It's about not wasting money and doing crazy things because of human error. We we've just tried, we've got to fix that. Right? So that's what our mission is to do that. You want to add to that?
2: No, I just wanted to say that I think the example you use with the gloves and leading right into the why is a good way to think about what human performance is all about. Because if, we don't find the why we can't really fix the issue so when we're teaching the leadership class to to speak to your question on how do i implement this in my company when i think my guys won't do it or i have a high turnover rate is the first step is building that culture so that you can start to lower your turnover rate and you can start to get on the same side of the table and get your employees on your team i'll call it Um, but building in that culture of hey, it's okay to bring up issues. And when we bring up issues, if we really resolve the problem, that builds trust with the employees. Instead of just saying, hey, put your gloves on, David, and moving about your day, now I'm I'm fixing a problem for you as a leader, a coach, and executive. And then I'm also fixing that in the future so that I don't have incidents, I'm being proactive instead of reactive. If you don't find out why things are happening in your organization, simply put, you're, you're wasting your time trending data on, I don't care if, David doesn't care if I come to him and say, hey, you had 10 PPE issues last week. Right. From a human performance spe- perspective, who cares about that? That doesn't matter. The the why each one of those things happened is what is important so that organizationally we can fix fix the problem. Because yeah, it's not a... all about the employee. It's about the employee and the organization. Sure.
1: The and there's a huge benefit, like, so because my background is very much insuranced commercially, I've seen claims that are because valve companies are doing things that if they have a snafu, you have a significant consequence, right? But then on top of that in the insurance world, and I, I don't mean to harp on it, but I want to get into this because I feel like it's it, it warrants this, is that if that valve company, yeah, they, they might have an insurance risk out in the field because of the valve, but when you go to their facility and you see the the working conditions and you notice things, there might be some people that go like, oh, I have uh, Texas Mutual or whatever their insurance company is and think that, oh, when they come and do a safety inspection, that's that. But I want to really key in on this, which is in the world of workers' compensation, what we know is if you have a sign company and you have a fatality, that modifier, meaning what you're taking that right rate and multiplying it against, is going up. And then when you have the second accident, it's going up again. And suddenly you don't know, are you just in business to pay for insurance premiums? I, I only know that from my own personal experience of how that relates. What am I not thinking of? What are some of the consequences that... A listener could be hearing and they're going, I didn't know that this was an avenue. Like, I just th- thought that uh, it's really just working with a risk assessment from an insurance carrier to figure out how to take care of people. That is such a misconception, too, isn't it?
0: It is. Now, it's funny you mentioned insurance. I'm going to get into that a little bit deeper, but I'll, I'll start with this. A few years ago, we worked for a, a, a construction company and their claims were like, they have like 77 to 78 claims a year, workers' comp. We came in and opened up clear communications from management, leadership, executives. We got the, um, you know, all their their values put back out on the wall. All that was hidden; it was all gone. So there was no sense of, this is our mission here, right? It was just go get it done, go get it done. So we opened up those chain of commun- uh, communication again. And got the uh, leaders engaged. Started going out in the field, doing this coaching, training them on human performance. They went from 78 to 22 in the first year. Wow. And the insurance company that, that they were uh, using called us and said, what is this thing that you're doing with this company? And they had never heard of human performance. And really, most people haven't. You know, it's starting to become kind of a new, I think, buzzy word, human organizational performance, that kind of thing. But the insurance companies get it. And I'll say this, they actually bought us, an insurance company bought us, and we're glad to be partners with them because you know they insure against risk, we mitigate risk. It's a, it's a match made in heaven, right? I think what's gonna happen in, in, in the years to come is this insurance business, and, and our, my new boss made a great comment. He said, you have to be insurable. If you're not insurable, you're going out of business, right? He said that at our conference, and we, we have a conference every year, one coming up in April uh, in new Orleans, he got up and made the comment about, you know, recapitalizing knowledge vine buying us as part of their company. And I thought that comment was really, really interesting. Right? So think about this. Let's, let's talk about insurance brokerage and and carriers and those relationships and all that stuff. And I'm not an insurance expert. I can tell you that I am an expert at what we do, but I see the fit, you know, And and let's just say you're working with a carrier that finds out about what knowledge vine does. That carrier is, you're basically, I'm hedging your bet, right? Mm-hmm. Insurance is there to provide coverage for you in case something happens, something catastrophic. We don't want that to happen. And the insurance companies don't want to have to pay that. I'm sure they don't, right? So do something to mitigate that one thing that we keep talking about but do nothing about, and that's human error. Human error and organizational uh, gaps are $50 billion, I heard the other day $1.3 trillion a year now. Because of all the data breaches and all these different things that are going on, and it's all human error. You do a Google feed on, uh, on your news uh, system uh, and just put in human error in the news, it will astonish you. How many trains crash, how many dump trucks fall over, how many people get smashed at work between a forklift and the, the boxes. You know, it's just one thing after another. And the only people you don't hear that about anymore is the airlines and commercial nuclear power, because they got a hold of this. That insurance carrier is going to learn this. They're going to say, we need to be doing this. It's a hedge of the bet. I think that's why we got recapitalized by a major broker. So Yeah,
1: yeah. that makes absolute sense in the sense that when you think about it, if your, oper- your organization has all these line items that are the cost, right? And you have culture, which culture, they, they say it. Culture eat strategy for breakfast, right? That's the saying. So as you're walking through this and and now you, you share this alignment you have with um, the insurance industry, it only makes sense, and I've seen this just because of 20 years in the business, when you have... If lightning's striking two or three times and you have a fire, eventually you put a lightning rod up, right? You guys are essentially the lightning rod or the bulletproof vest that these companies can go to and say, hey, we want to convince quite, um, quite quickly a carrier that things are getting better and they're going to get better fast. And to this point, the idea that you could have a turnaround within a year makes me want to ask you this. I know there's a software component to this. I know there's a like a, a real person-to-person training involved in this. Um, I can you walk me through what are those resources that Knowledge Vine when somebody becomes a client, what are they getting access to? Like, what is it? What's behind the magic trick? I mean, uh, not that it's magic, but there's these th- several things that you guys are doing.
2: I think what to key in on the magic piece what makes it magic is what we talked about earlier is the application we did this for years i did it when i was on a submarine i just didn't know it was called human performance you know all the behaviors and techniques and the defense and depth and the, the leadership and coaching and high standards and all those things in culture um was there so because we all the whole leadership team that helped build knowledge vine did it in a practical application and then became leaders that led teams that had to use human performance it kind of sets us apart from everybody to be able to help folks with application but to kind of circle back to the process of how it works you know it's a full suite of offerings that we have you know originally we started out just teaching in the classroom and we were taking what we learned in our careers and turn it into a two-day class um, that sat down with leaders and taught them everything we knew and we figured out pretty quickly it was kind of information overload and we needed to translate that knowledge into what do i do on monday morning with this stuff it sounds great in here but I'm in the field now with my crew. What the heck do I do? And if I can just parse in just for a
0: second on that, you know, the other thing too, is we were big on dynamic learning activities. What are some Mm -hmm. things we can do to example, make an example of this for you in this learning environment? It is so hard to convince somebody that playing Battleship is the way to learn human performance. But I'll tell you what does work, and that's going out there where the work's getting done and teaching people how to apply it right now in real time to the thing they're about to do. You know, it's such a better method to do it that way you know, in a real work environment where it makes it real instead of a trust fall exercise or let's build a Lego helicopter together. I mean, that right. stuff's all great, but that's, you know, yeah, it doesn't work in this this space for us. But you want to continue with the product? I'm sorry.
2: Yeah. So big picture, we went from classroom only to going in the field and helping apply the stuff. And then we we started to learn as we worked with our clients, that's one of our Our keys to success is we've been adapting year after year to what we learn from our clients because we're a learning organization. So we started to incorporate other pieces. Our clients fed back to us. It's hard to take everybody out of the field, the entire staff, leaders and employees, it's expensive to get them in a classroom well, what if we supplement some of this with online training? Mm -hmm. So we have a blended approach. We do classroom training for leadership still. We'll do refresher classes for employees, but there's a big online piece that's available to them via computer, mobile app, whatever. We added in the culture survey at some point because we wanted to understand what do the people in the field think about their own company? Mm -hmm. Um, So that gave us some insights to build a burning platform to get started. Uh, As we continued to grow, we put more into our online learning. We came out with a driving program. We have a human performance based driving program now Mm -hmm. to go along with that. And then we got into the software piece. So as we were in the field doing all this coaching initially and teaching people how to apply it, we figured out there's some data we need to start collecting and we gotta stop writing manual <laughs> reports. Yeah, I was actually the report guy, so yeah. I got okay. tired of writing all the manual <laughs> reports. I was like, hey everybody, feed me all of your stuff and I'm gonna turn it into something. Sure. So that kind of progressed into some off the shelf products that we started having our field people use filling out forms so that we could start to analyze data and build dashboards and it kind of went deeper and deeper. Um, and we said one day let's build our own learning management system that works the way we want it to work so we started there and built that Uh, then we built our own observation system custom off the shelf um because all the products out there are mostly form builders and don't do what we want to do so we took it to that step so all of our clients have access to all those different technologies from in the field face to face shoulder to shoulder um we'll teach executive training we'll teach leadership training in a classroom and then you can do everything and interact with us online only if you want to
0: and we do know it's hard to learn things you know once and done so we did create a a complete Mm. cadre of sustainability too so for 14, 15 months, you get micro learnings that you can, and and look, this isn't the old 1995 CBT, you know, bloodborne pathogens, stab myself in the eye, I don't want to watch it. This is pretty entertaining and it's, and it's well done. Uh, uh, Ken's got an, a complete development team in-house, so we build our own software, we build our own training. Uh, it's all very professionally done. It's in SCORM compliant wrappers and we can do it any way you want to do it. But we wanted to build something that was useful because our key on this thing is an application piece. If you can't apply it, then we've done nothing for you. There's no return on investment on a promise, right? You need something actionable that you can do today that's gonna to make a difference tomorrow. That's what we want to deliver.
1: So what's really neat as we dive into this is, it, it's obvious to me, so even our someone listening, their bias could have started out as going, Oh, okay, this is like someone's gonna do an inspection and then there's gonna be training, <laughs> boom. But it's not that. It, you guys yeah. have evolved and evolved and evolved and now it's at a point where you have these, like several layers of way the way to get things done and make these improvements. Normally in an episode, I usually like about halfway through two thirds where I'm at now. Um, I normally get into like the process of buying and the costs and like things like that. But today I want to do something different because I, I, when I was thinking of the word costs and as you guys are sharing this insurance, isn't even like the fairest thing to talk about. If you're someone who has significant losses, your reputation potentially could be a cost. Um, I would imagine that if you're doing like city jobs or doing, you know, stuff with municipalities or the government, um, is that a factor? Do you find your clients going like, hey, this could cost me an opportunity?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of things that go into this. I'll tell you one that I never thought we would see really happen, but turnover rate. I was surprised. We saw a company that had an 86% turnover rate. And by doing this and showing that they cared and having the the coaches go out and give positive reinforcement for the things they saw that were being done right and listening to them, it dropped to 31%. And this is a construction company. You just don't see that, right? There's just so many things this does that you can't even put your finger on it. Well, how did that happen? But it really is about that communication piece. But, yeah, this can can cost you your – I mean, if you don't have a handle around – just catastrophic failure because of human error, you are going to go out of business. And there could be equipment costs too. Oh my God. gosh, all the time, sure.
1: So, so something also, I, I mean, I th- like now my head's spinning with like all yeah. these things where I see where the where the impact is real and optimization is key, is going back to the idea of a valve company. If you have an explosion at a, and you're the valve that supposedly exploded, what is interesting is if it was human error, like there was, Number one, a truck that wasn't supposed to be where it was, that had a person in it that wasn't supposed to be there. Like now, what could have just been a loss of a valve and maybe a bad day is a bad eternity for somebody. Oh, yeah. And so something that is interesting, too, about this is while oil and gas is what we live and breathe here at the network, If you're in manufacturing and you've got product liability and you've got these, you know, a team of people that work for you, it's socially irresponsible not to be looking at what your losses are, not just monetarily, but what is going on deeper at a cultural level for the people that work for you.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's a great point. I mean, I was in the oil and gas business for 10 years before I went into nuclear power. And, uh, you know, I worked in a place that made liquid gold. I mean, that we made styrene and it was a great in the 90s. It was a huge, great product. And we had something that everybody came to see. They wanted to understand our culture in this place. And we just all knew each other. We all worked well together. We were very young and, and it's crazy how little we really knew about what we were doing, but we kind of just learned it and did it. And we cared about each other, you know, and people would come from all over the world and ask us, how do you do this? How do you do this? And I'll tell you what it was. We had tight tolerances. We would not let each other fail. We did a strategy meeting every day. What is our strategy for this place? Let's communicate our gaps. Where are our weaknesses? Let's know those weaknesses. It wasn't human performance, but when I learned later when i went to nuclear power that that's what we were really doing i'll give you a great example i was 24 years old i was sitting on a control panel one night honeywell tdc 3000 and i was moving thousands and thousands of pounds of steam through a a superheater. it was two o'clock in the morning i was tired as a dog and i was about to hit the numbers into the to the um control panel and i turned around and looked at my buddy and i said i need you to look at this and tell me if this is right because i'm i'm cross-eyed you know and he looked at it and he said, I agree. That is that, 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 you know, 2,000, whatever it was. I says, we both agree that's the right number. And he's like, yep. And I hit enter. When I got the nuclear power, I realized that's called peer checking. And that's exactly what you do. Wow. You go ask Ken Halloran, who's a peer check of mine, Ken, do you agree this is the valve we're on? And he says, yep, that's the one. And we both agree to that. We both self-check, we peer check, we use a questioning attitude, and then we open that valve.
1: Interesting.
0: We were doing that as young kids at that styrene plant. Because we were trying to survive, we wanted mm-hmm. to make sure we didn't screw up, you know. And but when you when you learn that that's what you've been doing, and this is what it's called, that's why it's not a program, man. Mm-hmm. It's a process. It's mm-hmm. a culture. It's a way you do it, and it becomes ingrained in you. If you listen to us drive down the street, like if Dave Sowers is in my truck or I'm in Ken's car, this is how we talk, and you're gonna think I'm crazy. We're gonna take a right on First Street. Ken says, that's correct. We're taking a ride on 1st Street. I say, that, that's that's right. Yeah, so so we use three-part communication so we don't mess up. It's not a big deal to make the block, right? Yeah. But it's inefficient. Right. So why not have that stopgap yeah. and fix it right there? No. So it changes you. It makes you... Yeah. I don't want to say paranoid, but it's a, healthy, it's a healthy uneasiness about everything, right? You have to question all of it. And yeah. you wonder, am I doing the right thing right now every time because I don't want to make a mistake? And when yeah. you get in the business side of it and you have to make money, you have to be very much on top of your game to not make mistakes. So back to your point, I can't afford – to have a human error that's so costly that that my company name is tarnished forever. Right. And we know a couple companies that have been there. I'm you know. Sure. And it's hard to outlive that. It's mm-hmm. very hard. So when you made that point, you triggered something to me, and I thought, let's go back to the very beginning of this podcast. Remember where this came from, nuclear power. Yeah. How many times has a fine. nuclear power plant blown up in the United States? Never. We had a partial meltdown of one. I'll give you Chernobyl. Chernobyl was a mess, but that's a whole different story. Watch Mm. that documentary if you want to get scared to death. (laughs) But nuclear power, I'm telling you, that's how we're bred. That's how we think. That's how we work. And that's what we're teaching people to understand is those concepts, those cultures, it can work for you, too. I don't care if you pour concrete for a living. It doesn't matter to me. Whatever. You make popsicles. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I So you can make potato chips to microchips. It doesn't matter to me. It's all the same thing. It's about the care. It's about the drive and the concern to do the best you can every day.
1: That's great. And before we land the plane, I want to just <laughs> dive into um, one thing. So for you, Ken, as someone who kind of entered th- this world that you're in now, having the background that you you had, actually making your livelihood is is kind of based off of this but there's something very like uh, there's something very rewarding as a human to make a difference I'm sure what are some of the like what was something for you that as you entered this you were like holy crap like how are people getting this wrong or like what is something that you noticed that it's these simple things that if somebody would just take a minute and being the observer's ego, for a bit lack of a better word, that really for you coming out of the military was eye opening. Getting into this corporate kind of environment, working with clients that have companies.
2: I think the most eye opening thing for me, actually leaving the utility industry and coming to Knowledge Vine, was the opportunity that I was going to have to teach other people what I knew, Mm -hmm. you know, to speak to David's point of when you go into the commercial nuclear power world, you become their culture, you don't change their culture. So I already had that burned in me from Mm -hmm. the military. When I left there to come to knowledge when I was like, I need to, we need to teach why David started this company. It's like, how do we spread this to everybody else? And it was scary leaving a nice utility job with a pension and all those kind of things. to go out and take a risk starting a career trying to teach folks what all this stuff means and how it works and And that's another big misconception is well this is going to slow me down and how am i going to be more productive if i'm using three-part communication and saying alpha instead of a but it's all about becoming habit strength and making it part of your dna and your culture and it the efficiency productivity gains i mean safety becomes a byproduct of good quality good productivity and doing it right
1: well and i think Uh, you're
2: so that's what that's what keeps me going
1: yeah Um, and and as and i i would just imagine one of y'all's biggest competitors isn't a competitor it's actually people's mindset somebody who's responsible for all of this not being open-minded enough to say this is worthy of taking a look or a ceo who's the person that usually is the one that decides what direction to go Mm -hmm. depending on other people and not taking a note and going, you know what, I'm, I'm actually going to make a phone call right now and get this shit figured out. And, uh, we're going to put a, put an end to this reoccurring problem or this reoccurring lack of being proactive. So before we close it out, I want to just ask if somebody's listening, they're going, you know what, I'd, I'd like to just have a conversation about this, potentially have you guys, uh, maybe start the process. What does that look like? What's the best way for an organization to um, explore this?
0: I think the web page is a great place to start. So you go to knowledgevine.com, all one word. There's a lot of information, and I, I just want to go one second yeah, back. Yeah, go ahead. You talked about competitors. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to tell you how crazy this is. Okay, right? I'm going to tell you some crazy stuff right here. Please. There's so few people that do and know what we know. Our competitors are our friends. We actually have a community of practice where we bring people that do the same thing we do all to one webinar. We host it. We pay for it. We Actually, one of our partners, uh, he pays for half of it. But we collectively meet to talk about this. Huh. There's so few people that know it. Yeah. Me. I mean, unless you've been around nuclear power or aviation, you will not have heard of this, right? Or unless somebody read a book or right. whatever. But we're still friends with all those guys. And we, yeah. don't, we don't have like, oh, it's just ours, you know, whatever. We want the world to understand this. And I think we are all collectively pulling for that same thing. Mm. We, we all know how good this can be. And so even our competitors are like, yeah, let's work together. Let's help people out. You know, we all have a different way of getting there. Our, our way is application. Some people's is, you know, speaking engagements or whatever. So the website's a great place to go to get information about this. We put a lot of information out there for free because we want people to understand it, learn it, use it. It's fine. The second thing is we did write a book called Remedy, and it's on Amazon. The book is not expensive. You know, I think my, my family probably bought the most copies, so that's why it's number one bestseller in this category, which is the only book in this category. Just kidding. But uh, anyway, it's a pretty good book. It explains our entire process. You can get it right there on Amazon. It's Remedy, R-E-M-E-D and it talks about human error, talks about why we do it, how we do it, whatever. Those are the two fastest, cheapest, easiest ways to nice. get to us. After that, I want people to think about this and I wanna just be honest here. Don't hire me as a consultant, hire me as a partner. We're coming in to partner with you to make you better. Mm. We're gonna figure it out, we're gonna work with you, we're gonna customize a solution for you, we're gonna get to know your folks. It's not a fly in, fly out, hope you, hope you mm-hmm. got it, get your check and we leave. We don't do that. We're in it for the long haul. Most of our clients we've had for eight or nine years now. They never leave us. We stick with them all the way through it.
1: Yeah. When I think of an insurance agency or inspector, like for a carrier, being your source of like trying to figure out how to get it right, like how counterintuitive is that, that the person or the company that makes their money off your premium is going to go there. And yeah, they're going to nail you against the wall around anything they can because going back to that modifier – It's interesting, but when you have like a trusted partner, somebody who does this and did it at the nuclear level, I feel like it's pretty obvious to anybody who's paying attention here, is that you have somebody who's on your team. Like you have someone who's gonna tell you how to do it and you don't have, you could work in your business doing what you're supposed to be doing versus chasing your tail and watching these expenses go up and up or potentially be disqualified from opportunities. Yeah. Thank you guys. Knowledge Thank you. Vine. Thank Man, you. Man, yeah. I cannot tell y'all how many great things Russell told. I mean, Russell was like, you gotta talk to him. You gotta bring him <laughs> on. And I'm so glad he did. Congratulations on your Thank partnership you. in that, with that brokerage. Uh, I'll put everything we talked about in the show notes. I'll put the book in the show notes. Great. And um, we have a happy hour tonight. I hope you guys are coming. Uh, Oil and Gas Global Network, if if you go to our website, check it out. Our latest events are there. And uh, if you haven't checked out Russell's podcast, uh, you definitely want to. It's really a great show, and uh, I'll have that in the links as well. So, thank you guys, and thanks for uh, making thank time you. today. Appreciate right. it. Take thanks. care. Well, I enjoyed
2: it. Check us out next week for another fun and growth-minded episode of
1: Pitch Podcast companies join us to share their solutions with the world sign up for our mailing list to learn more about our upcoming events at
2: OGGN.com